It's time to unleash you at Kangan Institute. Enroll now. Kangan.edu.au. RTO3077. Sportsmart's mega giant shoe sale. 25% off all full price shoes. Shop online at sportsmart.com.au. Dwayne's World with Dwayne Russell. Good afternoon. Welcome to Dwayne's World. Julian DeStoop sitting in all week for Dwayne, who continues to enjoy his European adventure. Get on the line now, the Werribee Kia open line, 1300 736 736, awarded National Kia Car Dealer of the Year. Werribee Kia makes buying cars easy. You know how it works. It's midday madness. For work locker, carry downs and packing them. Unlock, stocked and full of value workwear for wherever you work. Visit worklocker.com.au. A huge weekend of sport, probably the, one of the best weekends the sport we've seen this year, whether it was uh, domestically with a fantastically run uh, Cox Plate, uh, the World Cup, that brilliant game between Australia and New Zealand. Another brilliant game last night because England, once again, were terrible. Uh, Lost by 100 runs to India, currently uh, foot of the table uh, in the World Cup. There's a lot of criticism of Australian football, the round ball code, but what a weekend. 28 goals in the six A-League games. The Matildas putting eight past the Philippines yesterday. Just reading, it's got Adam Peacock saying, let's get the Matildas to the MCG next year. They'll have a must-win Olympic qualifier in Australia next year. Why can't we fill the MCG, uh, given they got over 59,000 uh, yesterday for a match against the Philippines? I'd say if that was the Socceroos in an Olympic qualifier against that sort of opposition, maybe 20,000, 30,000. So it just shows the power uh, of the Matildas. We'll have it all covered today. Bharat Sunder racing in India to talk everything that happened in the World Cup uh, on the weekend. Uh, the top four just breaking away a little bit now uh, as we get into the back end of the tournament. The Vicks finally got on the board in the Sheffield Shield. Big win over New South Wales, who just cannot win a game uh, in the Sheffield Shield. So the captain, his first win uh, as permanent captain, Will Sutherland will join us. Melbourne victory striker Bruno Fornaroli, four goals in the first half. A Rabona, if you don't mind. Uh, so he will join us. Upside, downside. So if you remember, we started this uh, last week. Uh, with uh, the, the footy team heading into 2024. Uh, when I was on, we covered off the Bombers and the Tigers. Uh, today, we're going to do the Blues. A bit of interesting news out of Carlton over the weekend. Orazio Fantasia heading to Princess Park. Uh, so I wonder what Blues fans uh, think about that one. So we'll do that about 20 past one this afternoon. What's the upside for the Blues heading into 2024? And what is the downside? But no doubt the big news story... Thank you, Brian. And uh, the big news story out of the weekend, of course, uh, is Eddie Jones. Eddie Jones departing uh, the Wallabies. It has been an absolute disaster. So get your thinking hats on. We want to talk about uh, in this first hour or throughout the show, what have been some of the most disastrous coaching appointments? So it's not purely on win-loss. Of course, the win-loss comes into it, and I'm assuming most of the nominations. Of course, the coach hasn't been successful uh, in their tenure. But it's more about not only have they not been successful, but the organisation they've worked for, in this case in Rugby Australia, they've almost blown it up. Uh, so it's happened across a variety of sports. Just a couple uh, to whet the appetite. I'll give you the, the one that first came to mind for me in the AFL was Malcolm Blight with St Kilda in 2001. So he comes in, the million-dollar man. He promises to take the Saints on a ride. It lasted 15 matches for three wins. And then he was gone. It's been a very difficult time for my family and friends and everyone at St Kilda. Sadly, my commitment to the St Kilda Football Club was terminated yesterday. 
In this era of professional sport, every person is accountable. The team hasn't performed to expectations, and I accept the consequences of that responsibility. The debate over the styles and methods of coaching will continue for the next hundred years. The scoreboard is perhaps the only definitive measurement of the game. And to all the St Kilda supporters, I am dreadfully sorry that the ride was so short and ended this way. So you can hear the background noise there. That was such a big story. That, that was on a Friday night. Friday night footy was interrupted to get Malcolm Blight speaking to the media for the first time after being sacked. So give us a call, one three hundred seven three six seven three six. Give us your nomination. Some are already coming through on the 40 Winks Temper, 0433981116, the all-new Temper Pro, Temper's most adaptive mattress ever, is here. Temper, a mattress like no other. Now, another one that was massive in the world of football and so big, they made a movie out of it. The movie was called Damned United. It was on Brian Clough, who was a successful manager with Derby. His big rival at the time was Leeds, who he would eviscerate for their dirty tactics and say they weren't worthy champions. And then suddenly he was named their manager in 1974. He lasted six matches. He won one game and his tenure lasted 44 days. Well, I might as well tell you now. You lot may all be internationals and have won all the domestic honours there are to win under Don Revy. But as far as I'm concerned, the first thing you can do for me is to chuck all your medals and all your caps and all your pots and all your pans into the biggest flipping dustbin you can find because you've never won any of them fairly. You've done it all by blooming cheating. I don't have to justify myself to you. Come Saturday afternoon, there'll be 40,000 people out there who well, you do have to justify yourself to. Well, I'm not Mr. Revy. Who do you bloody think you are? Brian Clough. Brian Howard Clough. Brilliant movie, uh, if you haven't seen it. And that was part of, uh, you know, the Hollywood adapted version. But uh, that was part of his opening address to the Leeds players when he took over. They hadn't been outside the top four in nine years. He lasted six matches, 44 days, and got one win. So I got a heap of texts, but get on the line. Got some great prizes to get away. one three hundred seven three six seven three six. 736 736 Take us through your nominations for biggest coaching disasters in terms of appointment. Win-loss, a big factor. But just all the drama around it um, and, and just almost blowing up the organisation for a short time in their tenure. So a couple of examples uh, there. So let's just take you through how it all unfolded uh, with Eddie Jones. So Tom Decent in the Sydney Morning Herald broke the story throughout the World Cup that there was a chance he would go. He was speaking to Japanese rugby. And then, of course, uh, disastrous World Cup campaign, the worst the Wallabies have ever had. Eddie Jones arrives back in Australia, and this was what he had to say on October 17 when asked about his future as Wallabies coach. Uh, no, staying, mate. Uh, always been committed to Australian rugby. Uh, I want to leave it in a better place, and that's still the job, mate. Long term? Uh, well, I'm committed to make it a better place. Okay, so that was 13 days ago. Now we know Eddie has gone. So Tom Decent, brilliant piece of reporting, uh, stuck to his guns despite constant uh, denials uh, from Eddie Jones. Uh, He joined the boys on breakfast this morning. It's been an absolute car crash over 10 months for Eddie Jones. Two wins from nine games, swallowed his first time bowing out in the pool stages at a Rugby World Cup. And 
um, 12 or 13 days ago. He said he was committed for the long haul and to see out his contract till 2027, and he quit last night. So, um, yeah, a very sad day for Australian rugby. I think clearly Eddie's trying to spin this and say it's a bigger, broader Australian rugby issue, but as so many people are saying to me and probably your, your listeners, that it didn't have to be this way. He made sweeping changes to a team that was mm. not great, but not pathetic. Um, and, and they've had their worst World Cup result. And um, why couldn't he have started the rebuild after the World Cup? He has four years heading into a home World Cup. Um, but I just think he's seen the writing on the wall and he's not a very popular man in the Australian rugby landscape mm. today. And he made some very interesting comments, didn't he, about some highly respected uh, members of the Wallabies that were left out of the squad, including the former captain, Michael Hooper, basically saying he didn't think... Uh, himself and a couple of other highly respected players were, were good enough role models for the young players uh, in the squad. So he certainly left some damage behind. Uh, Jared Whateley opened his show this morning with his editorial on the departing Eddie Jones. Eddie Jones has resigned as Wallabies coach and not a day too soon. There's never been a national coaching reign quite so bizarre. Rugby Australia tried for the Messiah coach in a desperate snatch at a World Cup campaign it ceded all power to a man who embarked on the job as a vanity project, as a personal indulgence, and he ran it as his private fiefdom. His level of disrespect for those he cast aside was matched only by his arrogance. It proved disastrous on the field and worse in the public domain. I am mindful that Jones is entitled to a level of respect for the coaching career he's had over decades. But across his 10 months in charge this time, he has come across as delusional and at times borderline senile. The coach is painting himself as a martyr and it's the worst self-indulgent twaddle. Didn't miss there, Jared, And I think a lot of people that love the game of rugby uh, would agree. If there's any rugby fans out there, your thoughts and who should take over? The Wallabies, who should be the man to to pick up the pieces uh, left behind by Eddie Jones. And it came on a weekend. It was a magnificent World Cup final with South Africa, pipping uh, the All Blacks in a very tight affair and a controversial sending off uh, of the All Blacks captain as well. Okay, let's hit the phone lines. Midday Madness, of course, a work locker. Carum Downs and Packham. Packenham, unlocked, stocked, and full of value. Work where for wherever you work. Visit worklocker.com.au. You know the midday man has promised. You call, you get on. Uh, and Baz from Coburg has done that. Good afternoon, Baz. Afternoon, Jules. Um, yeah, Noel Howe's coming across to Carlton, mate. Absolutely destroyed the club. Yeah, so the win-loss uh, wasn't great, of course. So 20 wins for Mick Malthouse, uh, 33 losses. One draw, one final series in Asterix, because they did finish ninth that year. They got in, beat the Tigers, then lost to Sydney. Uh, outside of the win-loss, why was it such a disaster for the Blues? He got rid of, got rid of, uh, rid of a lot of players, you know, like uh, let a few players go, changed the whole club. And, uh, yeah, basically when it was all done, mate, the club was on its knees. So, I mean, he came across, when he first came there, like, he, he walked in, and the first thing he did was, like, pinpoint the club to say, why are we training on a ground like this? What's the size of Eddie had? Or whatever it was called back then. And they kind of said, these are the measurements. And he said, all right, perfect. Rope the ground, Optus, or Princess Park to that size. And everyone was, like, in shock. Like, he's been here, like, a couple of minutes, and he's already found something, you know, the club didn't know about. So... Yeah, I think it's just come across more out of arrogance, not wanting to be there. So, yeah, 
Thank you, Baz. And uh, I think it's the perfect, it's one of the perfect nominations because it's sort of that s- square peg into a round hole. Was was it for the right reasons, given what happened for him at Collingwood? Did Carlton get sucked into the Messiah uh, complex? And if you look at some of the players that left, Eddie Betts left in that time. Now, I'm not saying this is all because of Mick Malthouse. There's all different reasons for these players leaving, including, you know, contractually and, and money, etc. But Jared White left and was a really good player for North Melbourne. Zach Tui left. Still going for Geelong and a premiership player. So for kicking us off today, uh, Baz, a Signet Boost Power Bank valued at forty four ninety five coming your way. A Signet Boost Power Bank will keep your phone, tablet, and earbuds powered twenty four seven. There's been a few for Mick Malthouse at Carlton off the forty wings temper as well. Let's get to Tim uh, in Brighton before the break. G'day, Tim. G'day, Jules. Thanks for taking my call. Look, I'm mate. not an Essendon, not an Essendon supporter, but I I clearly remember when. Matty Knights was sacked at Essendon and uh, just the drama that went around, uh, you know, uh, him leaving the club and it was almost like things were being plucked out of the air just to just to pin on him. He was like a, a, a face on a dartboard. It was always going to be tough to follow Kevin Sheedy, wasn't it? Particularly for a first-time coach and uh, it's sort of a similar comparison you can make in the English Premier League when uh, Sir Alex Ferguson, the most successful manager in, in UK history, left Manchester United. And you need a big, strong personality, someone with a lot of success, you would think, to come in and be the next coach. Is probably what Essendon needed as well. And there was plenty of people at Essendon you know, pushing for Neil Danaher. And we all know what happened with Damien Hardwick. His interview didn't quite go right. And you know, sliding doors moment. He goes to Richmond and, and does what he does. Uh, and David Moyes came in at Manchester United and uh, very good manager at Everton. And he's doing some good things at West Ham now, but he probably wasn't the high enough caliber uh, manager to take over from a legend in Sir Alex Ferguson. Uh, thanks for your call. Welcome back to the show, Julian DeStoop. Sitting in for Dwayne Russell off the back of Eddie Jones's resignation after a disastrous, very short tenure. Uh, as coach of the Wallabies, including our worst performance in World Cup history. We are asking you for disastrous coaching appointments, the square peg into the round hole. Yes, the win-loss was poor. That's part of the criteria. But just some of the other damage done by uh, coaching appointments uh, over the years. Let's get to John in Mount Waverley, who's got a nomination for us. G'day, John. You there, Johnny? We'll go back to John. Uh, let's get to Fog on the road. G'day, Fog. Hey, mate. How are you? I'm good, mate. How are you? Good. Uh, i tell you what. You know, I go for the Ds. Yep. i the worst coach in the living history of the club is Mark Neal. And I've got to tell you, he wasn't far off the mark, though, in what he preached. He said he was going to come in and make Melbourne the hardest team to play against. I think he just muddled his words. <laughs> and he meant to say he's going to make the hardest team to watch. <laughs> Oh, it's funny, isn't it? There's always the odd saying from a coach that gets appointed or something they say throughout their tenure that sticks with them uh, when it goes wrong. And that certainly, Fogg, was the one for Mark Neal. I remember it. We're going to be the hardest team to play against. And they were probably the opposite, weren't they? Oh, they were a joke, mate. I should have known when he went up and got Mitch Clark and then he drafted Jimmy Tumpus in front of Holly Warren that it was going to be a tough few years. I'll tell you what. Uh, yeah, and the captaincy appointments, poor old Jack Trengove and Dylan Grimes were thrown to the wool. Uh, Dylan Grimes, sorry. Jack Grimes were thrown to the thrown to the wolves before their time. Yeah, that was shocking. And the fact that he took Maloney, who just won the BNF and put him in the VFL for half a year, that was just... It was just I, I just... It, it, 
I can't even speak about it. It makes me frustrated, Leo. Well, <laughs> well, that was the other part of it, wasn't it? That 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 is part of it. We talked about you know with Carlton and and Mick Malthouse, it resulted in you know some really good players left the footy clubs for different reasons. But there's no doubt, you know, he he went in and alienated uh, Brent Maloney, told him what he wasn't good at instead of what he was good at. Coming off a really good year the previous year, and I mean, you know James McDonald and Brad Green and. Cameron Bruce, a heap of the senior players certainly were put offside very early. So the actual for the culture uh, of the footy club, it was a very, very poor appointment, I must say, off the 40 Winks temper. That one has come through pretty strongly, uh, as has Scott Waters at St Kilda. So win-loss record, certainly not as bad as Mark Neal. Only two seasons, 17 wins, 27 losses. But again, it's it's the carnage from, I guess, the culture and and the feel around the club, you know, Brendan Goddard wasn't happy. So he became the free first free agent, went to the Bombers. Uh, ben McAvoy was traded out of the footy club. We know he went on to play uh, in two flags for Hawthorne and captain the club. Nick Del Santo uh, left as a free agent uh, and became a North Melbourne player and, and played some good footy for them. So no doubt uh, there was some damage there uh, for the Saints uh, after that one. Let's get to Jeff in uh, Manor Lake. So I think wants to, to change the subject slightly. G'day, Jeff. G'day, Jules. Uh, a little bit disappointed this morning. I haven't heard anything about uh, the Formula One where we've had two Australians actually finish in the top ten uh, for probably the first time since Weber and Ricardo did it. Um, and also, you know, what uh, Ricardo has actually done for Alfa Tori in finishing seventh, yep. gave them six points and put them up to eighth in the Constructors' Championship with still more races to come. And from what the reports are saying, that that's worth $20 million wow. um, US to Alpha Tory if they can stay in that position. So it just goes to show um, why they got Daniel Ricciardo into that team and, and he showed, paid them back in spades. Absolutely. And, um, Sorry, Jeff. Yep. And, you know, he, he did a really good job today. I watched the race and... Uh, whilst he did go backwards from fourth, he certainly um, kept up pace, even with, um, I think it was George Russell towards the end. I had it down for uh, lost in the wash, uh, Jeff, so I'm glad you brought it up. Uh, so wh- where's he going to be next year, Daniel Ricciardo, then? I think it depends on what they want to do with um, Perez. Uh, if they want to get rid of Perez, Ricciardo will beat Red Bull. Now, was it right this morning after it uh, all ended very early for Sergio Perez that a lot of the crowd left? Is that right? No, no, of course it's not. That's, that's, uh, what, that's well, one of the reports I heard this morning. I suppose they're passionate about, you know, supporting their countrymen, but, you know, um, it's like if, um, you know, Ricardo's been out first, first uh, lap of the Australian Grand Prix few years ago, and I'm quite sure we didn't all leave. No, I know. That's why I was surprised when I when I heard that this morning. So, Jeff, for you, you're clearly a big F1 fan. That that is some great results for the Australians this morning. How have you viewed the the dominance of Max Verstappen? Is it is it taken a little bit of the joy out of watching the sport for you in the last couple of seasons, or do you just admire the skill and 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 just how dominant he's been? I think you've got to admire how dominant he's been. And, and for people calling, you know, look, I, I, I'm not, I don't watch every race because it's on so late. Um, but I, I think, you know, you, you've got to look back at, you know, when, um, you know, Hamilton was winning and Shoemaker were winning. 
you know, they were always dominating and everything like that. And um, if you've got a class of driver, and that's where, you know, I think it'd be great if Ricardo can get into Red Bull next year because it will put a little bit of pressure on Verstappen. Absolutely. Uh, Jeff, uh, thanks for your call and uh, bringing that uh, to us. I did have it down for uh, Lost in the Wash, but uh, I'm glad you brought it up nice and early in the show. For doing so, a $50 e-gift card, redeemable online or in-store. Thanks to the House of Golf is coming your way. The House of Golf, your one-stop shop for all things golf. Well, it's been a story that's uh, captivated sports fans around the country and around the world, even if you're not the biggest supporter or biggest follower of rugby, and that is that Eddie Jones' time... Highly unsuccessful time, you'd have to say, is now over. Peter Fitzsimons, Sydney Morning Herald rugby columnist and rugby commentator, of course, former Wallaby. He's been covering the Eddie Jones story. He spoke to Eddie last week. He's been good enough to give us a few minutes of his time. Uh, thanks for your time, Peter. Thank you for having me. I'm having a lovely time. Where, where we find you, by the way? Well, I'm, I've, I've come out of Paris and I'm in regional France having a rest. Oh, that's <laughs> I'm pretty exhausted after that World Cup. Absolutely, oh. and uh, it was a fantastic uh, final on the weekend, which we might touch on. But now that it's it's all over for Eddie Jones, you spoke to him, you've been had correspondence with him. How do you feel about it all now that it is actually all over? Look, I'm sad, obviously, for you know the way it's worked out, but I'm mostly, I guess, befuddled. I just cannot figure how a man of his accomplishment. And I've you know, I've been a fierce critic of Eddie during this World Cup, but I was not a fierce critic when he was put in the put in the job. I mean, the background of Eddie, I played with and against Eddie in the nineteen eighties and I know him very well. This guy turned into the Messiah of World Rugby coaching. He took over the Bumbies, I think it was two thousand, two thousand and one, uh, thereabouts, and he you know, he got he got them they won the super title. He he took over the Wallabies. They got to the two thousand and three World Cup final, only missed by a field goal, being World Cup champions. In 2007, he was assistant coach to the Springboks. They won. In 2015, he coached Japan to beat South Africa. I mean, the most unheard of thing anybody had ever heard of. So he then, in that year, he takes over the English side that didn't make the pool stage. And within four, then he, he takes them over. They win the next 18 tests straight, and he coaches them to thump the All Blacks in the semi-finals in 2019. Gets to the final, you know, admitting they didn't win the final. My point being, this bloke had a track record of accomplishment in coaching. I described him in the Herald as a cross between the Messiah of world rugby coaching and a human cattle prod. It made sense to put him in charge of a Wallaby team that had talent but no huge performance. And what I cannot understand is how a man at that level of accomplishment coached the flaming clown car of a Wallabies team we saw in this World Cup. So what was his biggest mistake? Was it, as some have said, basically trying to rebuild during a World Cup? Was that one of his big mistakes? before Before I answer, let me say that analysis of rugby has never been my strong point. When I was a player, <laughs> I liked to pick up the ball and run into other blokes. I was less fussed on them running into me. But I'm not really a rugby analyst and I'm not qualified. At, you know, the way they play modern rugby, I've got no clue what they're talking about. They seem to me to talk gibberish. But, but you know, it's way beyond my, my ken. But I say this, that when I went to the Wallaby training before the World Cup started... It was on the edge of Paris. It was my first Wallaby training in 20 years. 
and I am quite stunned to see out on the field 30 players with at least as many support staff. If you count it up, physio people, baggage people, defence coach, attack coach, scrum coach, line-out coach, mall coach, God knows what coaches, you had one support person, one coach for every person on the field. There were two drones in the sky filming the training, two blokes with computers up one end of the field in a marquee, crunching numbers about God knows what. And so when you say, what what, what are them? What, what I can say is this, even on my limited understanding, I don't understand how you have drones in the sky and that level of sophistication. And yet, when the game time comes and you're up against Fiji, Fiji puts the ball up five minutes into the second half and it lands among the Wallaby backs and nobody called out, mine! Now, in rugby union, <laughs> and I imagine, I don't know if it's, you know, I don't know if you do it in Aussie rules, but when you're in the under 12 A's or the under 12 B's, you, that's what you're taught. You know, the ball goes up, somebody's got to shout, yep. mine! Mm-hmm. Well, nobody, nobody shouted mine, the ball bounced, the F- Fiji regathered, they scored the try, they won the game, and that was the end of it. And, and well, before they won the game against Fiji, with seven minutes to go, with one minute to go, sorry, they were seven points behind. At that point, the Wallabies had one hope, just one hope of getting a draw. They had to hold the ball. They had to charge towards the line, recycle it, keep going, nobody spill it, you'll score. They didn't. They kicked it. And I said to Tim Horan, who's you know one of the finest yep. rugby, well, probably the finest rugby brain in the the country. I said, you know, Tim, I never understood rugby, but I understand this. Somebody's got to shout out mine, and when you've got a minute to go and you're seven points behind, you don't kick it. Is, is that Has it changed, or is that still the go? And he said, you're absolutely right. It was insane. And so how did they play that badly? One answer is they wiped out huge levels of experience. So Michael Hooper played 118 tests, the long-time captain, no, can't come. You're, you're not. You're not coming. Quade Cooper and Bernard Foley probably have 118 tests between them, something like that. They've been around a long time, seriously experienced five eights. No, you're not coming. And they gave it to a young fellow, Carter Gordon, who, to be fair to him, shows huge amounts of talent, but you know had no experience. And so, how did? And I, I think he's, I think you know Carter Gordon, to be fair, will be very good, but. The answer is you had the youngest, most... Exp- I think there were 15, 15 players picked in that 30 who hadn't played as many as five tests. So in all the World Cup squads, in the whole World Cup, we were the youngest and the least experienced. So that's some explanation. So that's one of the biggest mistakes that was made. And in this World Cup, the 5'8", the number 10 on his back, the one that takes the ball from the halfback, is pretty pretty close to being the quarterback, you know, very close to being the most important player in the team, the one that guides them around the field, kicks it downfield, kicks goals, decides a lot of the tactics and strategies, and it you it really cried out for experience, and we just didn't have any. So, Peter, how's it play out from here? How should Australian rugby fans feel if Eddie goes and coaches Japan, and will there be? potential repercussions for those at Rugby Australia that hired Eddie Jones? Well, there's there's all... Well, look, where it plays from here, I've been, you know, going back and forth with Eddie, and I had a... Well, I, I, got, I don't know if I've ever had a reaction like I got to an interview I did with him uh, three days ago, four days ago, but yeah. now. 
where I, we didn't talk as you know professional journalists with professional coach. We talked as old teammates of you know cut the bullshit, talk to me, mate. What, what's 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 going on? And him saying, I'm not talking bullshit. I'm telling you the truth. You know, like we're talking like that, like two old mates, which we are. And we went hard. I, you know, I said, you, you take strike at the Ram weekend. I'll go steam in from the Paddington end and put some put some bounces around your ears. And we talked about Japan. And he said that the story in the Herald, you know, that he'd been talking to Japan, absolute nonsense. I said, well, I don't think it is absolute nonsense mm. at the Herald. We don't put stuff on the front page and, or anywhere unless we're damn sure of it, particularly not something of that sensitivity. He insisted it was nonsense. But then I said to him at the end, I said, Eddie, just imagine that in four years' time, I, you, you are the uh, unlikely event, but let's just say you're the CEO of Australian Rugby. And let's just say that I'm the coach of Australian Rugby, very much more unlikely, but that it's put, printed in the Herald that I've been talking to South Africa to, about coaching the Springboks, and I absolutely deny it. But it turns out I've been lying through my teeth. Let's just say that's the scenario. What would you do as CEO? Would you be entitled to sack me? And Eddie's answer was, I'm not quoting exactly, but no, you wouldn't be. Uh, he wouldn't be entitled to sack me in that case. He would ask, had my commitment wavered? Had I been distracted? Had I been hiding away, sneaking off to meetings? If I if I had remained committed, that wouldn't be a sackable offence. So as you can see, that was a slightly contradictory answer. You know, on the one hand, no, I haven't been talking to them. On the other hand, no, you wouldn't be sackable. Now, you work for SEN. If on the QT you'd been talking to 3AW or whoever about being hired by them, I work for the Herald in the unlikely event that I was on the quiet talking to the Australian, neither of those is dismissible offences. It happens in the professional mm. world that you're working for one organisation while you're talking to another on the QT. Um, in rugby, it's a bit different. I mean, in this situation, I don't think it's probably legally different, but, well, I'm sure it's not legally different, but in this situation, when you're, you've been hired for five years to resuscitate Australian rugby, it's pretty grim if six months in you're talking to another organisation that you risk playing against in the quarterfinals about playing for them. And, you know, it, the whole thing was so problematic, very distracting for the Wallabies. And as we can see, one way or another, the whole thing turned into a disaster. Do you think you'll coach Japan? Look, Eddie, Eddie and I were furiously texting each other yesterday morning because I, he'd talked to me off the record um, whatever it was, 24 hours ago, uh, you know, about what where the situation was up to. And then I said to him, I texted him yesterday morning and said, look, mate, I'm not breaching any confidences, but this this is about to go live at the Herald. We've got independent sources. So I seek your leave to use your, your off-the-record quotes to put them in the public domain. And he came back, and one of the, of the quotes that he gave me one was, I'm not going to Japan. I've got no... What he says was, I've got no job offer. I accept that he has no mm. absolute... You know, there's no... He hasn't got a contract in front of him that he's about to sign. Uh, but he is going... I mean, the Herald's been running. I think they've been saying that the week after... Next week, I think the Herald... Well, the Herald's been saying that there's a second round of job interviews um, and the supposition in, in Japan for the leading candidates and the supposition is that Eddie will 
be be at those. Now, Eddie has said to me, and I put this in the Herald, he'll be on holiday in Japan at that time. And I, mm-hmm. I said in the paper, Jesus, Eddie, what are the chances? <laughs> what are the chances? We at the Herald saying you're going to be be, be in Japan for a, for a second interview. You say you're going to be there on holidays. Well, that's convenient, mm. etc. But he says no job, no job offer, no plans. Will he end up as Japanese coach? I, I don't know. You'd think, given the disaster that Australian rugby's gone through in the last little while, you might be a bit reluctant to, as the Japanese rugby union to sign him up. On the other hand, I cannot overstate how highly regarded Eddie is in Japan and the success he has had. When he coached in, in the most famous rugby victory, pretty pretty close to the most famous rugby victory of all time, is Japanese beating South Africa in 2015. I mean, it was inspirational. It was unbelievable. And it wouldn't have happened without Eddie Jones. It, you know, I think Eddie had had them at that point for two years. And he wasn't saying, you know, we're going to win the World Cup. But he was saying on on the, on the 17th of August... We're going to beat the, we're going to beat South Africa, and this is how we're going to do it, and this is what we're going to train for for the next two years. And they did, and they trained for South Africa for two years, and they beat them. So his share price, while his share price in Australia used to be ten dollars and seventy five cents blue chip, right now it, it's I don't know, it's down to two dollars sixty three. Mm. He's still got a hell of a track record like nobody else. But his share price in Australia is way down. But I suspect in Japan, his share price remains sky high because he's the one that's got the best performance out of the Japanese team in history. And yet, he says, no job no job offer, no plan. So it's hard to pick it. Just quickly, Peter, before we go, I believe you've got a new book out. Uh, just quickly tell us what it's about and where can we get a hold of it? Good on you. I oh, will any bookstore near you, etc. It's the Australian Night Horse, and it focuses on it's it's the history of the Australian Light Horse in the First World War, and it focuses on the last charge at Beersheba, which is the it's known as the last charge. There were actually charges thereafter, but this was the phenomenal story of of 800 Australian horsemen of the Australian Light Horse. The sun's going down. And they charge hard straight at the Turkish guns, and and what happens? I, I must say, of all the books I've done, well, that, that's one of the ones I've enjoyed most. I found it absolutely extraordinary. There's so many Australians that are descended, have a grandfather or a great grandfather that was in the Australian Light Horse, that don't quite understand what it was all about. This book is what it's all about. Sounds like a great Christmas present to me, Peter. Thank you so much for your time. Uh, enjoy a nice little break in France. Thank you. Bye-bye. Welcome back to the show. Julian DeStoop sitting in for Dwayne Russell. If you're just joining us first hour, a lot of talk about Eddie Jones and disastrous coaching appointments. Blues fans, get on the line now. In about 10 minutes' time, we'll do upside, downside for the Blues in 2024. You think there's a lot more upside than downside given their second half of the year. Bit of news out of the Blues on the weekend too. Orazio Fantasia, the former bomber and former Port Adelaide small forward, injury prone, is going to be a Blue uh, for a couple of years. Keen to get your thoughts on that as well. But let's turn our attention to the cricket. The World Cup's been going on. The Shield is underway. And fair to say it was a much-needed win for the Vicks on the weekend. And uh, our McCafe coffee catch-up. Buy a pair of silly socks for the five ninety-five from now on until November 18 to support the Ronald McDonald House Charities. The skipper, Will Sutherland, has been good enough to join us. G'day, Will. Hey, Julian. How are you going? Good, mate. Uh, you must be 
pretty relieved about that result uh, given the first couple of matches this season. Yeah, definitely. It's been a tricky start to the season for sure. Um, yeah, not what we had planned, but yeah, really proud of the way the boys bounced back um, over the last few days. So great to be uh, on the winners list. So as a captain and as a you know the coach Chris Rogers and, and some of the leaders in the group, how did you handle the first couple of losses heading into this game? Because you know they weren't just losses; they were, they were significant losses. Yeah, definitely. Um, yeah, I think yeah we we tried to keep it in perspective a bit. I think we played some quality opposition um, and a fair bit didn't go away. I still haven't won a toss yet, so <laughs> a bit of work to do there. Um, but yeah, WA and Queensland are both good side sides. Um, but yeah, still no excuse to get done by an innings so um, we had yeah plenty of personal improvements to take out of it but as a team I did, yeah we just didn't want to jump at shadows or anything like that and we knew um, our best was definitely good enough so um, yeah that's shown over the last few days and um, now I've got a taste for it hopefully we're away. Is, is it been heads or tails that have been letting you down there Will? Oh, I've been chasing my tail a little bit so um, <laughs> if you've got any advice on, on how to win a top let me know. Well, you're a 50-50 chance. Pat Cummins doesn't win them very often, so it do- it doesn't really matter at the end of the day. Hey, tell us about the deck there at the MCG. I mean, Peter Hanskin was, was pretty impressive, 43-90, and 90, and Fergus O'Neill made it 70, but it, it looked like a pretty tough deck for batting, looking at the scores. How did it actually play? Yeah, it was definitely tricky. Um, yeah, obviously would have liked to have bowled first, but, um, yeah, last two games we've, we've batted first there, and it's actually been... Um, almost a bit slower and, and harder to get the nicks on day one, and then it quickens up on day two. So I think it's worked in our favour there. Um, but obviously it was yeah incredibly tough batting conditions, and um, yeah Fergus and Petey really were the were the ones that were able to um, dig in and, and get some valuable runs on the board. So big credit to those two. Uh, Fergus O'Neill, man of the match in the end, four for twenty three, one for thirty two, and uh, an invaluable seventy not out as you mentioned there, putting on the last what four wickets for one hundred and fifty three to, to really put you in a strong position ahead of New South Wales second innings. He's he's becoming a pretty good story. Uh, Andy Maher on the run home, he's got him in his little black book. Thinks he's a, a player of the future. Just take us through uh, his performances over the last uh, twelve to eighteen months and and sort of the development in his in his bowling in particular. Yeah, he's definitely come a long way. Um, yeah, he keeps it nice and simple. He's not overly quick or anything. Um, just incredibly accurate and just does enough with the ball up front. Um, and yeah, he can certainly bat as well. Um, and he's a he's a great great guy to have around the group. He's uh, yeah a bit quirky and brings plenty of energy. Um, got the chains and the earrings and all that sort of thing. Bit of bling. Um, but he's a yeah great guy and um, superb teammate. So hopefully he can keep getting it done for us. Talking to Victorian captain Will Sutherland after a convincing 205-run win over New South Wales to get the Vicks their first Shield win this season. I, I noticed in an article was suggested that uh, after getting out in the first innings, uh, Peter Hanscom might have got a little rocket. Can you take us through what happened there? Oh yeah, I think the coach did have a little word to him. Um, yeah, I'll, I'll play the nice guy, so I'll stay out of that. Um, but yeah, Chris Rogers did have a, a little word to him. He probably would have been. Slightly disappointed with his dismissal, but um, yeah, still batted incredibly well in that first innings. But then to respond the way he did and um, get the 90 um, was amazing. So yeah, he's obviously a class player and um, a big big support for mine as well as the ex-captain. So um, yeah, we hope he can keep batting really well. Just looking at um, Marcus Harris, we had him on the show last week. He missed the first game, you know, due to the birth of his son. He, he didn't get runs in the in the, the first match he played this season. Missed out again on the weekend. How how's he 
faring, given we know there's a spot there potentially in the Australian team for Marcus if he can make some runs, but but just so far it's not clicking for him. Yeah, I think Harry's a, a big one where um, you know he knows his his best is definitely good enough, and he'll keep it in perspective, uh, much like we did for the um, first two losses. He knows that yeah, big score is always around the corner for him, so. Um, I'm sure he won't be changing a whole lot and um, he'll just be trusting his game. And, yeah, I have no doubt there's a big score for him around the corner. And, um, yeah, hopefully that leads into Australian opportunities this summer. What about your own Australian opportunities, Will? You've had a fantastic 12 to 18 months. Do you feel it's it's not too far away? Is it at the back of your mind? Yeah, potentially. Um, yeah, you always think about it here and there. It's obviously always the dream growing up. Um, but, yeah, as I always say, just try and keep uh, performing for Victoria and um, trying to win the game for, you know, whatever team I'm playing in. And, um, yeah, if Australian opportunities do come, that'd be great. But if not, I'd, yeah, I'd love playing for the Vicks and hopefully we can keep um, having good wins like last last few days. The match on at the MCG was also Nathan Lyons' uh, return to first-class cricket. You've got him at the Renegades this year. How did, how did he look out there? Yeah, he looked good. Um, yeah, first... First game back for him, he's said he's been doing plenty of calf raises, so I'm <laughs> sure he'd be very happy, very happy to be back out there. Um, but yeah, he just did his usual stuff, bowled really well. Probably didn't get the rewards, but um, yeah, obviously really excited to be playing with him for with the Renegades this season. I'm sure he'll have um, plenty of wisdom for myself and the rest of the group, so it's really exciting. Have you got an idea of how many matches he'll be available for the Renegades, given the the test schedule? Um, probably not a heap. I think maybe um, a couple up the front, which would be good. Um, but yeah, he's a very um, you know good team guy. I'm sure he'll be around the group as much as possible. So yeah, big signing for us. I'm tipping you've been watching the World Cup closely, obviously watching the Aussies' fortunes. But uh, you do have someone coming in by the name of Quinton de Kock for the Renegades, who's been in some pretty handy form. Yeah, definitely. Um, hopefully he's still got some runs left for us when he comes to the Renegades because he's, yeah, he's been on fire. So, um, yeah, loving the, the shots he's playing and especially that square of the wicket um, will, will be really suited to Marvel. So that's, yeah, really exciting for us. Where do you sit on the 50-over format? Once a World Cup comes around and you can see when, you know, um, things are on the line like a World Cup, it's fantastic cricket and, and the players are, are so heavily invested in that game against New Zealand the other night was one of the better ones we've seen for quite some time. Where do you think the sort of the 50-over game sits now, given the, the prevalence of T20 and, and still test cricket really strong? Oh, yeah, it's an interesting one. I reckon, um, yeah, there's still definitely a place for it. Um, I definitely love playing it. Um, yeah, potentially it's the um, least favourite format for fans to watch, but, yeah, it's still um, definitely a place for it there. And obviously the World Cup's the, the big one that everyone loves and, um, I certainly love watching it. So, um, yeah, hopefully it, it stays around for many years to come. So next up for the Vicks, uh, Tassie. Uh, and, well, I guess their confidence is going to be sky high after their uh, amazing uh, fourth innings run chase. Yeah, that was incredible. Um, yeah, Froggy Freeman there getting it done. So I'm sure, yeah, they'll be um, very confident coming into that game. So we'll have our work cut out for us, as always, in Shield cricket. You know, every um, every team's pretty strong these days, so... Um, yeah, looking forward to, to what's in store for us at the junction. But, yeah, hopefully we can um, keep the, the streak going. What sort of wicket do you expect at the junction compared to, to what you played on at the G? Um, well, hopefully there's a little bit in it. I think, yeah, in the past um, they, they've tried to maybe make some spinning wickets that haven't 
fun as much as we would have liked, um, but he, he made a really good one for us um, yeah, last season um, against New South, which did a little bit. So, um, yeah, hopefully it's um, that way. I think that would suit us nicely. So a um, little bit in it would be good. Will you call heads or tails this week? Oh, what do you reckon? Ah, uh, nah. Uh, heads, heads for brain. So I reckon heads. Yeah, okay. Well, might have to take your uh, advice there because I'm, I'm really struggling. Uh, you'll be right. You'll be right. Hey, Will, thanks so much for your time. Congratulations. Uh, great to see the Vicks on the board. And uh, let's hope uh, we start a run of wins uh, from now on in. Thanks for your time. Thanks very much, Julian. Appreciate it. Great to have Will Sutherland on the show. That was our McCoffee uh, McCafe coffee catch up. Buy a pair of silly socks for five ninety five from now until November eighteen to support Ronald McDonald House Charities. Reminder: Blues fans, get on the line one three hundred seven three six seven three six. That's the Werribee Kia open line. It's awarded National Kia Car Dealer of the Year. Werribee Kia makes buying cars easy. We want to know the upside and the downside for the Blues in season twenty twenty four. Give us your thoughts on the signing of Horatio. Fantasia. We know the talent, just the body has let him down, but do you think that was an area, your small forwards, that you needed to strengthen? Does he get a game at Carlton next year if he's fit and firing? Uh, give us your thoughts on that one as well. Uh, we'll have a Signet Boost Power Bank for our best caller. So the upside and downside for the Blues. Just noticing uh, off uh, a line here from Tom Decent who broke the story, of course, about Eddie Jones. He's got a line from Hamish McLennan, who is the boss of Rugby Australia, saying he won't quit over the Eddie Jones resignation, saying more destabilisation will just make matters worse just when we're about to break through. Life is not a continuous line of perfect calls and success. So not sure everyone in the world of rugby will agree with that, but uh, that is what the boss is saying at this stage. Down, up, down, up, down, up, come on, more energy. Down, up, down, up, down. Oh, it makes me laugh every time I hear the jingle, upside, downside. So we've gone through the Bombers last week, we went through the Tigers, and today we're doing the Blues. Fair to say, halfway mark of the year, it was mainly downside. Second half of the year. Mainly upside as they charged into the finals. 13 wins Carlton. in the home and away season. And then, of course, uh, two thrilling finals victories over Sydney and Melbourne. And then 20 minutes into the prelim, you thought, hello, they're going to make the grand final, the Blues. Kick the first five goals. And then Brisbane uh, were too good from that point of view. Just before we get into that, a bit of uh, footy news coming out of the Hawks. Uh, Cal Toomey posting on Twitter a short time ago that they'll nominate uh, Kelshier Deer, the son of Premiership player and, of course, the late... Uh, Paul Deere, of course, won the 1991 Norm Smith medal. Uh, so then the Hawks get to choose in the coming weeks whether they'll nominate Deere as a national draft father-son or as a rookie. They've already nominated uh, Will McCabe late last week, the son of former defender Luke. Now, he'll certainly be taken uh, in the draft. Uh, very highly rated young player uh, is Will McCabe. Okay, James from Karen Downs has jumped on the line. Now, don't, this is not in the spirit before we get to James. Uh, send us through uh, temper text as well if you can't give us a call. 0433 98 11 16. The all-new Temper Pro, Temper's most adaptive mattress ever is here. Temper, a mattress like no other. One here just saying Blues upside. Essendon will go another year without winning a final. Now, that's not nice. We're talking about Carlton. We're not talking about Essendon. Let's get to James and Caram Downs. G'day, James. Yeah, pretty good, Jules. Um, wanted to have a look at a bit of holistic reasons and have a look at this. 
and what makes Carlton back and what makes them worse, and it's what goes out, what comes in, obviously makes life a bit easier. So Paddy Dow goes out, couldn't really break the game in. In comes Elijah Hollands. Carlton needs goal-kicking midfielders. They've probably picked up one there. Carlton's small forward line, no disrespect to the boys, but it's probably bottom three in the competition when it comes to their group. Orazio Fantasia, injury risk, so that's probably a bit of a make-or-break sort of thing there, but it's probably a free hit considering Sam Phillips being yep. delisted and couldn't get on the park. Um, Zach Fisher going out, Zach Williams coming effectively mm-hmm. back into the side, so I think that does free up Docky to potentially go through the middle. So I think what's going on and what's coming in, it looks pretty good. What does Carlton need? Well, everyone needs elite kicks, but Carlton probably need a couple of better runners that have got some speed because they did get cut up by Brisbane, especially in that second half and uh, only a few weeks ago. Um, and then obviously that ability to use the ball when you're running with it. And then obviously fixing that small forward line. Uh, Owies, Motlop, Corey Durden, that's what it looks like at the moment. So then you throw in Orazio Fantasia, and Motlop's probably the only one that's really showing a lot. That I was say, Motlop looks like a good player. He does look like a good player. So I think, all in all, I think that's the upside. And then obviously with Carlton, with two picks on the, the higher end of the draft, you, you want to call it inside 30, um, probably can be a bit more speculative at the draft and take more a couple of project players, I guess, and maybe look for the best small forward in, in the draft with speed, for example, and then maybe look for another running halfback with an elite kick or something like that. So, all in all, I think there's a bit of upside there to work for. From a negative point of view, if Carlton produced the same small forward line as they've done the last couple of years, I can't see them going the next step unless someone like Orazio Fantasia does show something and someone like Hollands may play through there a bit more and show something. The injury risk is good concern. How's it work with the big guys, do you think, James? How does the combination of, uh, you know, now, whether you can play them all on the same side of some weeks you can, some weeks you won't, or some, or you don't want to do it all together. Can you play Mackay, Pitnett, Tom DeConing, and Jack Silvani in the same side? Or do you think they're all in your best uh, team? No, I don't. I don't. I think um, matchups specifically, but I think two of those three will play every week. And I think probably Tom DeConing's probably the one that plays more often than not out of the three of them. Um Jack is very um, universal, so he can go back and play back. So depending if you've got someone like a Marchbank injured or something like that, you can. But it just depends where if if Doherty is going to be playing into the midfield this year, which frees up someone like a Zach Williams to come back there. And then Nick Newman can either play the halfback role or play that negating small forward role. So I think the answer is yes, but I don't think you're going to see them when the best 22 is available that those three are best 22 week in, week out, unless you're trying to stretch your defence and go a bit taller, potentially if you've got the Twin Towers and McKay and Kerno. Well, 13 wins, to finish top four, you're probably going to need 16 wins. So you need to find an extra three wins from somewhere, and that maybe internal improvement will do that. Is there is there a young player on Carlton's list that we we don't know much about that hasn't been exposed that you can or exposed much to senior football that you think can make an impact next year? Yeah, I think the big one is Jackson Binns. Yep. Yep. I think Jackson Binns, is, is, uh, his disposal has improved during the year. Obviously, first year drafty last year and was very, very solid in the VFL. It was probably a bit unlucky not to get a go, but I think there was a, a question mark on Paddy Dow and what was going there, and Paddy got given some games to maybe try and keep him on the list and see if he wanted to hang around. Um, but I think Carlton's cleaned up a bit of salary cap with Dow out and Fisher out, so... 
it does help that, and it probably opens the doors for a rig, hard-running Jackson Bins to come in. Beautiful, James. Uh, comprehensive uh, Signet Boost Power Bank uh, coming your way. Thanks for your call. Carlton fans, still got some time to take your calls on the upside or the downside for the Blues uh, in 2024. As we mentioned, they want to be a top four team next year in the end of the home and away season. That was 16 wins this year with Melbourne finishing top four. It generally is 16 wins minimum to finish top four. Obviously, they won 13 this year, upside, Zach Williams certainly is an upside uh, coming back into the team from the ACL. Tom DeConing looked like he was a player that was just about to explode with the way he finished the season. If you think about early in that final uh, against Melbourne, and he's just getting bigger and bigger and stronger and stronger. So that looks like a real upside for the Blues, what he could do next year. Downside, how much improvement are, is there in, in some of their real good key players? You know, can Cripps get any better? Can Doherty get any better? Uh, can Kerno get any better? You think Walsh can get better? And, and a few players this year that certainly played career best seasons, can they replicate that? If you look at Nick Newman, if you look at um, Blake Akers uh, out on the wing, can these sort of players uh, replicate that form next year? And can they get Harry Mackay uh, back into his very best form? I think we all thought the kerno Mackay combination, once Charlie got back, would be the best combination in the competition. Charlie has more than held up his end of the bargain, winning back-to-back Coleman medals. But it just hasn't quite happened uh, for Harry Mackay in the last couple of years. So uh, that'll be a giant upside uh, if they can get Harry Mackay uh, back in red-hot form next year. But, uh, yeah, the expectations will be really high for the Blues. A couple more on the Blues coming off uh, the 40 Winks uh, temper. Uh, negative one here. Carlton will go another year without winning a flag in the 2000s, says Craig. Uh, Blues upside. Sam Walsh might eventually become an A-grade player in the eyes of Kane Corns. I think he's probably conceded now that uh, he's at that level. And, uh, well, it's been a good battle, that one. Connor Rosie and Sam Walsh, I think it's fair to say they're, they're both A-graders now off the back of the last 18 months that Connor Rosie has uh, put together. Uh, Blues won't get the best small forward in the draft unless they trade up to inside the top six. Uh, young Watson, of course. Nick Watson has been speculated as going uh, very early. Cowan and, and Bins, uh, in terms of young players that could make an impact next year, uh, according to Barry. And uh, didn't mind this one. Uh, I'll find it after the news. Uh, it was a bit of Bulldog uh, related. Oh, here we go. Uh, J-Dog. Uh, this, this is the sort of stuff we like, sort of reading between the lines and speculating. Uh, J-Dog, who's a big dogs fan. More news from the West. Tim English's partner, Rudy Ellis, cut ties with a West Coast fever which is not good news for the West Coast Eagles, according to J-Dog, hoping that means he uh, extends his contract uh, beyond season 2024. Nest story around Kunda, standing up to take it, just 17 years of age. Nest story around Kunda! Unbelievable! He is well and truly cooking! Nestori Irankunda at just 17 years of age in his second start as a professional goes back. I'm running out of words for this young man and everyone is. Well, we spoke about the confidence of the young man. He told everyone else, look it with me. And we can all watch in admiration because that is a world-class strike.
We spoke about this young man last week, Nestor Irakunda for Adelaide United, 17 years of age. Uh, we spoke about him with Craig Foster. It's such an exciting talent uh, for Australian football. They had another 17-year-old Adelaide, Musa Toure, score as well. Uh, in that game, you know, Garang Qual as a teenager has shown showed great signs in the A-League, played for the Socceroos and is now overseas. And when you, you look at, you know, the Matildas uh, yesterday, you know, part of their charm, I guess, and their popularity is, is the star factor they've got in their team. You know, you've got players playing at the biggest clubs uh, overseas and Sam Kerr is one of the best female footballers uh, in the world, that's what the Socceroos need, don't they, to go to the next level. You know, they did fantastically well at the World Cup. But we just don't have the players playing in, in with, the, I guess, the profiles because we don't see them. Back in the heyday of the Socceroos, you could watch Kuhl and Viduka and Lucas Neal and Mark Schwarzer, all these players playing in the English Premier League regularly. But we just don't have that at the moment. And we mentioned Adam Peacock's article uh, off the top of the show, but uh, he's written on Code Sports. Book the MCG, shall we? Tay-Tay can be the support act. The Matilda's 8-0 destruction of the Philippines in front of 59,155 is guaranteed the next match on home soil. We must win Olympic qualifier next February. So why not go to the biggest venue in Australia with 100,000 at the G just a week after Taylor Swift plays three nights there. Football activists will argue the MCG is not a traditional venue, but this team is beyond what a few want. Build it and they will come, a Hollywood screenplay once said. Sam Kerr, Caitlin Ford, Steph Catley, Mary Fowler, a World Cup semi-final, celebration and heartbreak. heartbreak. It's built, baby, so let them go to the biggest ground in the land. Uh, Perth's new concrete monolith was jammed to the rafters on Sunday and the masses got what they wanted. So do you agree with Adam Peacock? Should we play the Matildas at the MCG next year? Would we pack it out? Or if you're sort of a traditional football fan that doesn't like, uh, you know, games of football on the on the reconfitted Aussie rules or cricket grounds, would you like to see it uh, played somewhere else on a traditional uh, venue? Uh, but they are just huge at the moment, Matilda. So they beat the Philippines 8-0. The next match we play is against Chinese Taipei, who lost to the Philippines 4-1. So if the girls are on there and Tony Gustafsson chooses to play the strongest possible lineup, which he probably won't, uh, oh, they could do some damage uh, in that game. Uh, coming in off the 40 Winks uh, temper as well, we've been asking for biggest disasters uh, in terms of uh, coaching appointments. Uh, Peter from Peakhurst up there in New South Wales. Uh, Hi, Jules. Biggest disaster and club still struggling because of him. Des Hasler. Total car crash when he coached the Canterbury Bulldogs in the NRL. Uh, And he also wants to know when the AFL fixture comes out, probably late November, potentially uh, early December, Pete, because he wants to book his uh, trips. Uh, Also, uh, one on the cricket. I'm a Warner fan and believe he could have played on. Bancroft should be in line on performance alone uh, to take his place. I would consider promoting Labuschagne and Head as Australia's Nets opening pair and give the future a middle-order introduction. Your thoughts, uh, says Modbury, Modbury Mac. Uh, well, no, I think Cam Bancroft is an opener, and the players that are in line are openers. So it's interesting. The Shield watch so far, we mentioned Marcus Harris's struggle, 0-10-0-11. So he's 21 at 5.2 so far. Bancroft, 122 91, 57, 100. So he's 370 runs at 92.5. And Renshaw, another one that would be a contender, 17, 
55, 135, 7 and 57. So he's 271 runs so far this Shield season at an average of 54.2. So certainly two of the three there have made a, a pretty hot start uh, to the Shield season as the race to replace David Warner uh, really uh, heats up. Alligator Blood at the 200 took the front. Romantic Warrior the outside. Alligator Blood at the 100. Romantic Warrior, Mr. Brightside. Still Alligator Blood. Mr. Brightside coming at it with Romantic Warrior. It's a photo finish. Mr. Brightside or Romantic Warrior. It's a photo finish. Alligator Blood third. Well, many in racing say the Cox Plate is the best race on the calendar, and it certainly lived up to the billing on the weekend. An absolute thriller won in the end by Romantic Warrior, just from Mr. Brightside. Sam Highland from SEN Tracker is here to sum it all up for us and also look ahead uh, to Melbourne Cup Week. Thanks for your time, Sammy. Now, whereas Jules, yeah, it was, uh, it was a great race, wasn't it? Um, look, it wasn't uh, – I was I worked with Miles on, uh, on Thursday on – uh, trackside and and I made the comment that I didn't think it was a great Cox Plate. Uh, you know we've seen superstars in the past like Better Loosen Up and and uh, Sunline and you know great horses. Uh, Northerly, all these champions win the Cox Plate. Now I don't think this year's Cox Plate uh, had any superstars like that. But all the same, it was a very competitive race, wasn't it? I mean. After the race, uh, well, I know plenty, plenty on the text machine came for me on Thursday, and <laughs> but then after after the race, you know, I, wa- I watched it a couple of times, and I thought well, you could run that race ten times, and there'd be a different winner every time, and it was it was very even. I mean, if you look from first to about seventh, there was probably two lengths between them all. So um, I, I'll tell you what, Jules, I was on Jewess at forty one dollars. I backed it at. and it got out to 41 and I'm going, what? This is a serious chance. And I tell you what, it probably should have won the race. It should have won the race. And, and, you know, when you watch the replay, Mr. Brightside actually jumped slower than it and it actually went around uh, Jewess and and got the run that Jewess could have had. And Mr. Brightside has been beating a short half head. It's been beating a lip. So, um, yeah, it was a great excitement. Great race. Um, as I say, I don't, I don't, it, there was no standout superstar in it. Great story with uh, Romantic Warrior. Obviously, great for the you know for, for a horse to come from Hong Kong. He's a champion in Hong Kong. And James McDonald told us, you know, that this horse had improved four lengths off his first up run here in Australia. And uh, you know what? He gave it the super ride and got the money. I mean, he's an absolute jet, James McDonald. Doesn't matter where he goes around the world, uh, he is in the money. You know, he's just an outstanding jockey. I was going to ask you about James McDonald, Sammy. We're saying farewell to one of our greatest ever in this carnival and, and to, at, at the end of the year in Damien Oliver. Back-to-back Cox Plates now. We know what uh, James's resume is looking like. Where's he going to end up, this guy? Is he going to end up arguably have, our greatest he, ever jockey? He could. James McDonald definitely could. And um, it's a big call, isn't it? Because uh, Damien Oliver is, uh, well, at this stage, he's the GOAT. And, and uh, he's, he's quite amazing. What And, you know, I think Damien Oliver, the fact that his longevity has been amazing for us, as, you know, my whole time in, in horse racing, um, Damien Oliver has been at the top of the tree, you know, and he's so competitive. Right from the first time he kicked off here in Melbourne as an apprentice with the Freedmans, 
to then, you know, going out on Saturday. He is just so competitive. And, um, you know, I, I think it's it's going to be tough for Ollie because, you know, he's going out he's going out uh, at the top, isn't he? You know, I mean, he's still, like, there you go. If he had any luck in the Cox Plate on Saturday, he would have won it. So I, I reckon it'll be a, a hard thing for him to, uh, at the end of the year when he, when he finishes up. But I think it's a, a great thing that he's finishing up in Perth where it all started for him and obviously... Uh, his hometown, and and then back to James McDonald. Well, you know the world's his oyster, and he he's in demand with all the big owners. You, you see James McDonald when he goes over to Royal Ascot. You know he doesn't just get support from from uh, Australian trainers. You know he he's getting support from from um, Charlie Hills and big owners over there in England. So it doesn't matter where he goes, he has a presence, and and that's what top jockeys do. And yeah, I think uh, we will be reading about James McDonald winning winning big races for a long time. So, Gold Trip, uh, Melbourne Cup defence, finished fifth on the weekend in the Cox Plate. Uh, how do you think he's shaping heading into trying to you know back up and win back-to-back uh, Melbourne Cups? He's going really well. He's uh, obviously with the, the master trainer, Kieran Maher, or Kieran Maher and Dave Eustace. Uh, they know what it takes to win the Melbourne Cup, obviously. And, and that horse, um, you know, he, he's quite amazing, that horse, because, you know, he has a solid run in the Caulfield Cup. He ran well in the, in, in the Cox Plate. Then he's going to back up in, into the Melbourne Cup. Um, look, it's going to be tougher. It's going to be tougher for him. Uh, there's no doubt about that. I, look, I think Vauban, if he turns up, like if he turns up as good as he is in England or as good as we've seen him that day at Ascot, he will blow this Melbourne Cup field apart. And, and you know, Jules, I was just, I was just having a look at, um, I was just having a look at the, at, at the ballot of the Melbourne Cup and, and I just sent a message to a mate of mine. Number 24 is True Marvel. Mm-hmm. True Marvel won a hurdle at Hamilton on the 30th of May. Right? <laughs> so this Melbourne Cup, I tell you, it falls away. It falls away pretty quick. You would, ne- you would never believe that a horse that won a hurdle at the end of May at Hamilton is going to go round at this stage. He's going to be number 24 in the Melbourne Cup. So, you know, is there's a lot that obviously, and we see it year after year. There's a lot that don't run the trip in the Melbourne Cup. Two miles. There's plenty that'll that'll look a danger. You know, halfway up the straight, but that last pull on dead set pulls them up. So you have to be strong at the trip. And I promise you one thing: that is what Boban will be. He he will he will run all day every day. And so Gold Trip. With the extra weight, he's going to have to, or more weight than as opposed to last year, he's going to have to be uh, every bit as good as he was last year and better to be able to beat a horse like Boban. And, and you know, I guess there, you know, those internationals, and Willie Mullins, is he's an absolute master trainer. He's travelled horses all over the world. He's over there. He's he's predominantly known as, as a fantastic and outstanding national hunt trainer, but he's, he's, he's an outstanding trainer, full stop. And uh, he'll have that horse fit and well, ready to go. Um, yeah, it's interesting that, you know, we're, we're yet to see him step out at the races. He's just going to go bang in, into that Melbourne Cup. But as I say, if, if he's at his best turning up on a Melbourne Cup, they won't beat him, Bobby. Just finally, did Mark Zara, has he made the right choice sticking with without a fight for the Melbourne Cup? I thought it was interesting. I thought it, I thought it was, uh, I thought it was really interesting. Um, does... 
you know, does some part of Mark Zara go, I'm with, if I stick with without a fight, I'm, I'm with the horse, the stayer that's on the way up. You know, Gold Trip's already been there and done it. And, and can he turn up and, and do it again, obviously, with more weight? Um, yeah, I, I guess he, he's, he's looking at it going for the horse that's, that's, um, that's still on the rise. Uh, I, you know, I can only imagine that, that that's the way he's thinking. Um, you know, the Caulfield Cup over the years has been a fantastic lead-up into the Melbourne Cup. Um, look, it would have been, geez, Jules, it would have been a tough decision to, to make, wouldn't it? But all the same, a bloody good decision. Yeah, I was going to say, it's not the worst one to have, have to make. Isn't it? It, isn't it a good problem to have go home after the Caulfield Cup and go, hmm. well, gee, I've got two, uh, two live chances in the Melbourne Cup and uh, they're, they're, they're both going to be, you know, well in the market. They're both going to be uh, super chances and I can ride either of them. So, um, yeah, well, gee, it would have, been a, would have been a tough choice to make. Yeah, very nice one to have. Uh, Sammy, thanks for your time. We can't wait for uh, Cup Week and all the uh, form and the previewing and hopefully plenty of winners on SEN track. Have a great week, Jules. Good on you, Sammy. And Gareth Hall tipped the winner on the weekend. That's a miracle in itself. Uh, what's gambling really costing you for free and confidential support? Visiting gamblinghelponline.org.au. This is Dwayne Tour for the Kangan Institute and for Sportsmart. It's time to unleash you at Kangan Institute. Enroll now. Kangan.edu.au. RTO 3077. Sportsmart's mega giant shoe sale. 25% off all full-price shoes. Shop online at sportsmart.com.au. Dwayne's World with Dwayne Russell. Just a reminder, Beaumont Tiles is giving away a trip for two to American football's biggest game worth over $70,000. Just shop in store at Beaumont's before November 12, so still a couple of weeks to go, and you're in with a chance. T's and C's apply. This is a good story from Johnny Ralph. He works hard, Johnny Ralph. I don't think he ever takes a break, that man. Uh, Sam Naismith is going to be signed by the Tigers as a delisted uh, free agent. Mitch out the back, very happy with that. Of course, lost Ivan Soldo, eventually decided to trade him to Port Adelaide. Amazing career, Sam Naismith. 15 knee and shoulder surgeries across his career in Sydney, despite only playing 30 AFL games. Hasn't played since round four, 2020. Was delisted at the end of 2022. He played in the 2016 grand final. For the Swans, he's been at Port Melbourne this year, put together a really good season, uh, nominated for the mid-season draft uh, and wasn't picked up. Uh, and despite all these setbacks in footy, also had the heartbreak in 2020 of losing his sister, uh, Christy, to pancreatic cancer. So what a, an amazing story of persistence uh, Sam Naismith is. And at 31 uh, years of age, uh, he's set to get a... Another chance with the Tigers. Uh, Geelong was one club that uh, Johnny says was looking at him really closely in the mid-season, but uh, chose not to take him. Average 31 hit, 31 hit-outs and 10 hit-outs to advantage this season at Port Adelaide. Uh, the delisted free agency period opens up on Wednesday and runs until November 10. But uh, Johnny Ralph says he will be signed uh, by the Tigers uh, next year. Jeez, he works hard, John, particularly when it's a Richmond story. Um, coming up uh, after the 2 o'clock news, we're going to talk some World Cup cricket. Bharat Sunder Racing on the ground in India. Amazing weekend uh, when you look at that game between Australia and New Zealand. Where does it rank amongst all-time great one-day matches uh, and, and great matches at World Cups? Of course, England, absolute disaster there. 
sitting on the bottom. Uh, what has gone wrong there? So we'll ask Barat all about that. Melbourne victory striker Bruno Fornaroli will join us after his four goals yesterday. They have lost in the wash and BP also to join us to talk some tennis ahead of Andy and Gazy, who have got rocks and poxes coming from everywhere after a huge weekend of sport. Of course, the boys will be with you from 3 o'clock. We'll chat Cricket World Cup after the news. Yeah, nice to be back. Nice to be contributing. Nice to get a win. So very close in the end. It was a hell of a game. I don't had a couple of hits. So, um, yeah, a little bit like the uh, Test Championship. Obviously, had a six or seven weeks off. So, now I'm good after a spell. Good after a spell. That is an understatement. Travis had 100 off 59 balls after missing the start of the tournament uh, with a broken hand and led Australia to an absolutely thrilling victory in one of the great games of one day, and particularly World Cup cricket. We have seen one man that was there. He's uh, taking in all the buzz of this World Cup is Bharat Sundarais and, of course, SEN commentator and Crick Buzz journalist in India. Thanks to OMF, he won't be getting much sleep on mattresses right now. Australian owned and designed the OMF Big Big Spring Sale is on now with up to 60% off selected mattresses. Uh, Bharat, uh, good morning, your time, and thanks for your time. Uh, no worries. Good afternoon, Julian. And, uh, yeah, you're right. I mean, that was quite something uh, that we witnessed in the foothills of the Himalayas. And uh, uh, I mean, I had two options. One, to just soak it all in and just stay back for a couple of days and do a few hikes. Or um, <laughs> choose the buzz and the energy of Mumbai, which is where I'm originally from, uh, and come see some friends. And I, that's, that's obviously what I've chosen. Uh, because, yeah, I thought, you know what, I can take a little bit of a break from, from the cricket and everything, especially after a game like that. Um, you know, you don't want to see uh, England uh, do what they do and, like, you know, ruin your mood. Yeah, we'll speak about the English uh, in a moment because uh, it's been a disaster, to be honest. But just that game between Australia and New Zealand, I mean, it feels like a lot of people are saying it's one of the best ODI matches they've seen for quite some time. Where, where do you – I know you've seen a lot of ODIs. Was that one of the better ones you've seen? Oh, by far. And, you know, look – um, a lot of people say low-scoring thrillers are the best, Julian. They're like, oh, it keeps hooked uh, till the very end when you have two teams scrapping with each other in a, a war of attrition, and then one comes out on top. But this, if you think about it, one-day cricket uh, is all about runs, right? Who, score more, who scores more runs or who scores more boundaries? Um, and in that sense, this I, I mean, I wrote about it as well. I called it the perfect trip for the perfect ODI because throughout... Um, so many ebbs and flows. Uh, at every point, you thought the game was going a certain way, and it went something else. Or so it went this other way. Um, uh, like you know, take that opening partnership. Uh, I've never seen anything like that. I mean, what Travis said and David Warner did uh, was just power hitting of another kind, right? One seventy-five after nineteen over, sixty after five overs, um, and then New Zealand pull it back. Glenn Phillips, like would have expected him to be the star with the ball and for Glenn Phillips uh, to be played out by Australia and for them to wait for the likes of Bolt and Matt Henry to return. And then you thought, ah, they might just get to a par total of 330-340. Then Pat Cummins plays uh, one of his better one-day knocks in a while. Uh, and similarly with New Zealand, and New Zealand did it differently, right? They didn't go a gung-ho like Australia did. They just did what New Zealand do, uh, which is uh, kind of just stay in the game, stay in the game, stay in the game. And at every point you thought, oh, New Zealand, this is with every wicket, you thought, ah, oh, this is it. Right? Or Rachin Ravindra gets out after that brilliant 100, and you're like, oh, maybe, maybe uh, uh, they've left too much for, for the lower order. 
but then Jimmy Nishim, uh, you know, takes them to the death. And then it, it is the last ball finish, and it's another run out. Uh, it takes a great effort from Josh Inglis. And uh, eventually, and this was my line in the piece, I said for a game which was a boundary fest, it came down to uh, that elusive boundary, the boundary that yeah. wasn't New Zealand, what won Australia the game. And it, it was it was classic. It was a classic, and I was privileged to be there. Yeah, beautiful. Uh, some brilliant fielding as well from uh, La- Manus Labuschagne in that final over. So tough night for Mick Stark. He goes for none for 89 off nine overs, nine wides. Two of them went to the boundary. We're seeing in this World Cup... Some massive team totals being put up, some huge uh, individual scores as well. So, Barat, I've got a son. In a, in a few years' time, if he says, Dad, I want to be a cricketer and I want to be a bowler, is there any positives I can sell him about being a bowler? Uh, don't come to India. Uh, <laughs> one thing. I mean, come to, <laughs> I mean, come to India for everything else, but not to be a bowler. No, but you're right. Um, you know, it's uh, we've seen some spinners... Uh, we look really good. Mitchell Santner uh, has arguably been the best bowler of the tournament alongside, uh, say, Ravindra Jadeja or Kuldeep Yadav or definitely an Adam Zampa. Uh, yeah, I mean, the ball hasn't swung at all, has it? Uh, and which is why someone like Mitchell Stark has, has, has really struggled uh, because that's, you see the, his performances in the last two World Cups in different conditions, of course. He, he would strike with the new ball and then he would come back in the middle lows and get wickets, which is why he finished with well over 20 wickets, right? Now, here, he has struggled, uh, but he's not the only one. Uh, but, wh- you know, who I've been really impressed with is uh, Pat Cummins and how he's adjusted his mm-hmm. uh, bowling style uh, in the middle lows. Uh, and I asked him this question the other day in the press conference about his role and the economy rate. Because he has been very expensive, but uh, the, the off-cutters that he's bowled to turn games around for Australia... Uh, have gone sort of unnoticed, even even against New Zealand. It was his off-cutter that got rid of Rachin Ravindra when uh, he, it looked like he was taking the game away from Australia. So I think uh, we'll also have to like put that into perspective when we uh, you know break down these performances from the fast bowlers in particular, not just for Australia, but all other teams as well. I mean, having said that, uh, you look at how India are flying and their fast bowlers seem to be enjoying mm. These conditions. I mean, Bumrah and Mohammad Shami, uh, Mohammad Siraj, uh, they're right up there with the wicket tally. Uh, and they're not going for a lot of runs. So uh, it kind of tells you why India are the team to beat or have been the team to beat in this tournament. Uh, but yeah, I mean, it's, yeah, you don't want to be, keep, keep your son away from this uh, and just ask him, just keep telling him, showing him clips of such Tendulkar and Virat Kohli whenever you think of India. Who has been a bright son, a race, an SEN commentator and Crick Buzz journalist in India, thanks to OMF, Australian-owned and designed. Just uh, some criticisms of the Australian bowling early in the tournament was about our, you know, our new ball bowling. What about at the death? It feels like for a while this has been a bit of a problem for Australia in short-form cricket. Have you got an idea on how they can be more effective or maybe they need different bowlers at the death in a match like we saw on the weekend? Uh, I think uh, Pat Cummins, like I said earlier, um, has developed himself into becoming this death bowler um, who doesn't bowl yorkers and bounces, uh, or he does bowl slow bounces, but um, he's found ways to uh, you know, keep himself in the game in that sense. Uh, but you're right. I mean, most other teams seem to have specialist death bowlers. Uh, with Australia and just the makeup of the bowling attack. And one of the reasons they were criticized for when they weren't winning games at the start was, oh, it's just the test attack, uh, and uh, which is true. And, and, you know, a lot of them do not play a lot of white ball cricket anymore, or regularly, do they? I mean, Mitchell Stark, 
um, as, as genius as a bowler as he is with the white ball, uh, hasn't played a lot of one-day cricket, doesn't play in the IPL as we know. So it's 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 a challenge for him as well because white ball cricket keeps evolving on almost on a daily basis. That power hitting we spoke about, um, and uh, so I think they're also learning on the job in that sense, uh, which is why I think they are getting better and better with each game. Um, uh, but but the thing is they've always had have had to play catch up because as like I said the ball haven't swung at all. So we've seen what three teams put on over 100 runs for the opening partnership against Australia already and uh, New Zealand nearly did that yep. uh, before you know Mitchell Stark took that catch of Devon Conway so it, it, it's been it's been a worry but which is where Adam Zampa and Pat Cummins in the middle overs have consistently brought Australia back in the game uh, but I do think with like with everything else about this Australian team even the death bowling seems to get better and better with each game just on, it looks like Australia's going to you know, make the semi-finals now. If you look at the table, India, South Africa, New Zealand and Australia put a little bit of a gap on the rest of the competition. If we do, and if everyone is fit and available, do, does one of Marnus or Steve Smith have to miss out or can you see both playing in the same side? Uh, I mean, we thought once, as soon as Travis Head would come back, uh, that uh, wonderful love story would be broken up uh, right in the middle order. Uh, but <laughs> I guess Marcus Sonis is uh, you know, con- uh, continuing issues with fitness or uh, I don't know. I mean, I don't know what, what was up with Marcus Sonis in this game because he did train a lot the previous uh, day and I thought, I was convinced he was fit and he was going to play. Uh, but then he misses out and Marcus stays in this side. But I, I would think that the best 11 that Australia would um, think they will want to put out on the field with head back is with Stoinis at seven, um, uh, Smith at four, and uh, the, the top order with head, Warner, and Marsh. So um, I'd be surprised if they stick with uh, Manus and Steve Smith um, going forward if Marcus Stoinis is fit. Having said that, look, I think the the, the struggles of Cameron Green have also insisted that uh, played a big role in Manus and Steve Smith playing together. I think if Cameron Green was striking the way Australia expect him to. Uh, there is no way uh, I would see Smith and Manas batting together. So it looks like Australia on track for the semi-finals. It pains me to say this, Barat, uh, but England won't be in the semi-finals. <laughs> it's very, very sad. Uh, they're currently below the Netherlands on the table at the moment. They're right down the bottom. W- what's happened? W- what's gone wrong with this English team that have been very strong in white ball cricket and won the World Cup four years ago? Yeah, I mean, they seem to have regressed just in terms of numbers. It's like they've gone back to 2015. Uh, when they did not know what one-day cricket was. Uh, but it, that's not the case. Uh, I feel like England are doing exactly, especially with the bat, exactly what they've done since 2015, uh, which is go, uh, you know, hammer and tongs mm. from, from the beginning. But they just haven't been good enough. Uh, yeah, it, they've come up against better bowling plans, I think, from different teams. Um, even a team like Afghanistan, uh, you know, who have you know, been on the one-day circuit for a while, and uh, I, I compared them uh, pretty early on in the tournament to one of those uh, f- soccer World Cup winning t- teams, which you know stick to the same plan or the yep. same uh, kind of makeup four years on, and they, then they realize that oh wow, the world has moved on, or like world has caught up instead. So uh, no, it, it's been shambolic. But look, Julian, it's it's England. They'll say, oh, you know what, this World Cup was void. You know, oh, there was a light show. Uh, our rooms had doors. You know, there's too much curry in India or whatever. I mean, there'll be like some reason they'll come. No, I mean, it's been pretty humiliating. Uh, and yesterday, 
uh, when they restricted India to uh, you know a, a, a decent score on a on a turning pitch, uh, you felt like oh finally maybe they're going to put up one decent game uh, and keep the tournament alive in that sense. But them going down the way they did last night, uh, yeah, what the first of only team to be bowled out within uh, 33 overs uh, three times in the same World Cup. Uh, and think about it, right? Like I saw someone's tweet, and I completely agree with it. That if this was in the Netherlands who had done this, or in Afghanistan, uh, people would have said, "Oh, do we really need to mm. give these associate teams to go?" Or uh, even Afghanistan is not one, but uh, you know, the Netherlands would have been would have come for a lot of criticism. Uh, and uh, you know, so it, I, that's that's just we're talking about England playing that level of cricket or that's how poor they are and looks like they'll miss out on the champions trophy in yeah. 2025 um which uh, will be kind of funny i'm sorry <laughs> yeah not sure there's any moral victories or any books they'll be writing about uh, this world cup campaign before we let you go barat what's the mood like in the ground on the ground in india i must admit there's a few eyebrows raised early in the tournament some of the matches and some of the attendance looked a little bit low but is that is the country just fully in raptures with the World Cup. I mean, listening to the, the sound coming through the tally last night in the India game was yeah. amazing. But overall, is it is it just captured the imagination of the whole country? I think it's beginning to capture the imagination. Uh, we had a terrific crowd in Dharamshala for Australia and New Zealand. Uh, nearly a full house. I think over 25,000 people were there. Uh, I thought we had 17,000 people in Delhi watching Australia and Netherlands, uh, which you wouldn't have expected. But I think it's picking up, and I think the weather also has a lot to do with it, Julian. Like October is a very difficult part of the year uh, to be out and about during the during daytime. And I mean, you must have read a lot about how difficult it is, and I've experienced it as a fan myself back in the day. Uh, just, it's an arduous task to go to these grounds and to uh, go through 18 levels of security. You, you're not allowed to take even a bottle of water inside. And then to be sitting in the king sun, uh, and with the humidity levels at fever pitch during October. Uh, so I don't blame people who didn't or decided to stay away from the ground, at least for the first innings of uh, most games. And you saw that in most of these games, these neutral games anyway, which India wasn't playing in, people would start coming in once the sun was set. But I think the weather is improving all around. Um, and we also started playing in uh, venues like in Mumbai, Bangalore, which are even more accessible, like they're in the middle of the city. Uh, so, and Dharamsala obviously becomes a destination venue for a lot of people. So, the crowd is picking up. Uh, India winning always helps. What they won now six on the trot. Yep. Uh, so I, I I could sense it just uh, yesterday evening, even though I was with a friend who has no interest in cricket, uh, and but the interest around us is picking up. Uh, and you always know it's uh, like you know cricket has. Uh, begin to make an impact uh, on India or, or especially World Cup cricket when firecrackers start going off with India winning. I heard that last night <laughs> and that means, uh, you know, from this point on, I think we're in the business end of the tournament in more ways than one, but also in terms of India really embracing or the Indians really embracing this World Cup and then becoming um, the kind of, uh, you know, spectacle that we expected it to be. No, it's going to be it's building beautifully. It's going to be a, fo- a fantastic final third of the tournament. Uh, Bharat, thanks so much for your time and uh, we'll touch base soon, but uh, enjoy the cricket over the next few days. No worries at all, Julian. Thank you so much for having me on. Great to have Bharat Sunder, racing SCN commentator and Crick Buzz journalist. Uh, thanks to OMF Australian, owned and designed the OMF Big Big Spring Sale is now on with up to 60% off selected mattresses. Australia not in action now until Saturday against the English one here from Lockie. It doesn't matter how we finish off the World Cup as long as whatever we do, 
We don't lose to the Poms. Now Traore has space. Can the victory add another before the halftime break? What a start to the season for Melbourne victory and what a day for Bruno Fortnaroli yesterday, as you heard there from Daniel Garb. Four goals before halftime. The victory win 5-3. They're two from two. Life as a victory supporter is magnificent. Crosstown rival City, zip from two. Uh, and Bruno fornaroli has been good enough to join us uh, this afternoon. G'day, Bruno. How are you? I'm very well. Now, let's not worry about your first three goals. A nice little penalty tucked away. A couple of other clinical finishes. But tell me, tell me about the Rabona. Oh, yeah. Was, look, um, first thing is a very good crop from, from Adama, you know, and I know him well. Uh, it's great to play close to him. You know, he when he arrives, uh, he delivers quick and, 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 and he's clinical to, to to make good deliveries. Uh, but I think in that, in that moment, like, the ball remains a little bit behind me, so... Uh, was no time to me to 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 stop the ball inside the box and and and, and try to do other things. So uh, I just try, I try to to do the Rabona and and, and lucky for for everyone go uh, finish on goal. Is that the first Rabona you've scored in a professional match? Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's the first one. It's the first one. And how many times have you scored four goals in a professional match? Uh, or, uh, yeah, it's the first one as well. So uh, <laughs> happy for that. <laughs> And how often when you you're practicing at training or even just you know mucking around before a training session or after a training session would you would you use a couple of rabonas yeah you you know in training of course that uh, you you try everything is 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 the is the moment that you you can do mistakes and 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 you can miss and but you know when 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 you play you try to do everything. Uh, correct and 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 try to be, uh, you know, the most clinical as possible. But sometimes is is uh, the game demands something different, and and I think was the case, and this is why I tried to do it. Amazing weekend across the A League. Twenty eight goals in the six games. Uh, eight game, eight goals in the game you played yesterday. Was it? Do you think that's just one of those weekends that we won't see very often, or or do you feel like there's a bit more? Across the league, some an attacking mindset in the league in the opening couple of weeks. Yeah, it's you know it's only the the second week and 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 and, and but also I, I watched a couple of games and then it was pretty open, uh, which for me as a striker uh, is something I like to see you know because when the games are open and and you can you can have more chances to score goal. But it's something like uh, as a team we have to we have to improve and 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 try to to don't concede uh, goals and, and and you know this this for sure that make us uh, to win more points. So it's something like uh, for sure we, we will work hard uh, this week. I was going to ask you. We're speaking to Bruno Fornarelli, Melbourne Victory star striker, who scored four goals in the first half against the Newcastle Jets yesterday in the, the Victory's five-three victory at Amy Park. Uh, what was the reaction from the manager afterwards? As fans and as neutrals, we all want to see goals, but we know managers love clean sheets. So, what was his reaction to great win, scoring five, but conceding three at the same time? 
yeah, of course it was was positive, you know, because our first game at home and in front of our fans, um, uh, the reaction for, from Popa was positive. But at the same time, like I said before, it's something like we 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 need to improve. We, clean sheet is so important for us. So, uh, like I said before, will be will be one key point that we have to uh, work hard this this week. Uh, especially when we have in front of uh, uh, a great, great team, uh, will be important game for us again, and 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 we want to keep improving. It's only very early on, as you mentioned, two games in, but it's been a great start for the club. It was such a tough year for Melbourne victory last year on field. You know all the repercussions about what happened after that Melbourne derby. Does it feel different so far this season? Yeah, yeah. Especially yesterday, you know, the the atmosphere uh, was was amazing. Uh, our fans are back, and and that's what we we spoke before the game. You know, we we need to create something special at home. Uh, we need to be the team that have to be the home, and 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 that's that that what we talking before the game. And and I think at the end of the game, uh, the atmosphere was was amazing. Uh, our fans, see our, our fans day is, is, is something so special and, and something that we really need if we wanna we wanna fight for 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 the title and 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 of course uh, more best result where we we can bring to them inside the field I think uh, we will be very better for everyone. It should be a huge crowd coming up this Saturday as you mentioned. Uh, you play a great team. They defeated. Uh, Melbourne City 6-0 on the weekends. One of the great rivalries in the A-League, Melbourne Victory v Adelaide United. Just wondering, how much do you know about young Nestory Irikunda, who's 17, he's made a great start to the season, scored that wonderful free kick uh, on the weekend. How much do you know about this young man? Look, I think he's had a great potential to be uh, a great player. He showed last season already, and this year he... He already started to uh, to play uh, from the start, uh, which is so important for for a player. Uh, he scored a beautiful goal uh, yesterday, and, and, and you know it's something like we have to take care because uh, this kid have a, a very good talent. But you know we have to, uh, like I said before, we, we have to improve our, like as a team. We have to keep believing what we're doing at the moment. And of course, we will take care uh, the place that we have to, and 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 but we we, we need to keep improving uh, in what we do and what we and what we believe. So I think this is the way like that like we can win uh, next next weekend. At a similar age to young Nestory, uh, Daniel Arzani was uh, absolutely flying in his career, and he's had some injuries, and it didn't work out overseas. You've got to work with him over a preseason and seen him. Uh, in action a, a couple of games already this season. What's your sort of thoughts on Daniel as a player and, and, and what sort of level can he get to? Oh, Daniel Daniel is, I think, is top top player. Top player and, and like you say, uh, he was a little bit unlucky in, in, in his short career about the, the injuries, but uh, after a great preseason, uh, he start to show already what what he can do, and he can be so important for us. Especially, you know, for me as a striker, have a 
uh, a player like Daniel uh, close to me is, is important because he, you know the ball will arrive, he can deliver, he can create something different, and uh, you just have to be in the right spot, and and he will find you. So uh, he will improve every week, every weekend, uh, like like I see already. Uh, but he's special. Uh, we need him, and I think he will be so important for us. Just before I let you go, Bruno, is it uh, have you got a one Rabona per season rule, or will you uh, attempt another one uh, maybe as early as this weekend? <laughs> no, no, no. Like I said before, you know, for me it was was a great Sunday, uh, but I cannot win the league. The team will win the the league. <laughs> That's that's the most important, and that's what I think, and that's uh, what we're working for. Uh, uh, sometimes, you know, like I said before, you, you you can have a great weekend, and 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 and, and everything goes well for you. But at the end of the day, who in the the league is, is the team, and 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 it's something like we can uh, keep improving, keep show, and 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 of course, it's a very important game. Uh, coming, uh, and I hope that like, I, we can see our fans uh, they support us again, and, and and that could be could be more special, and and of course they help to they help us to win to win points. Uh, Tony Popovich will be very ha- happy with that answer, Bruno. Hey, thanks so much for your time. Uh, well done yesterday, and uh, it's going to be a great match uh, coming up on the weekend. We want to see as many Melbourne Victory fans uh, in Amy Park as possible. Thanks again for your time. Thank you so much. No worries. Thank you. Great to chat to Bruno Fornaroli. What a goal scorer he has been in the A-League and uh, five goals already in two games this season. Uh, He is off to a flyer like the team and uh, the two teams that played in the grand final last year, Central Coast and City, yet to get off the mark. So it's been a great start to the A-League season. You know the jingle, it's lost in the wash time. Anything we, it was a big weekend of sports, so I'm sure there has been some things we have missed. Give us a call, 1300 736 736. It's all thanks to our good friends at rjsanderson.com.au. Take the stress out of tax a heap uh, to get through from the weekend. Um, V8 supercars are on the weekend. A great result. For Dave Reynolds, first victory in five years up there on the Gold Coast. He won the race uh, yesterday. Cam Waters won Saturday's race. So well done to Dave Reynolds. Uh, A long drought that he broke uh, yesterday, and he was pretty happy about it. Uh, Afterwards, some disgraceful scenes overnight. I'm not sure if you've seen this story uh, in the French League One in Marseille. So their match against Lyon was uh, called off after the... Coach carrying the Leon um, players and the coaching staff and also some uh, some other buses with fans was attacked by Marseille supporters. Uh, things were thrown through the window and the manager of Leon, uh, Fabio Grosso, who's a name that all Australian football fans will remember, uh, won the, the penalty in the 2006 round of 16 match for Italy against the Socceroos was injured. There's some photos of him on social media with cuts and blood all over his face. So that game was called off. Uh, it be interesting to see what the punishment is uh, for Marseille. So not great, uh, not a great look uh, for French football uh, overnight. And uh, a lot of NBA games and NFL games on today. If you don't know the scores, we'll just read through uh, a couple of the notable ones. Uh, maybe just turn the radio off for a second. Uh, in the NFL, a couple of these significant results in the Battle of New York. It was the Jets 13 defeating the Giants uh, 10. 
uh, in overtime. Uh, the Bengals had a big win over the 49ers, 31-17. to And the late game uh, today, which only finished a short time ago, it was a convincing win for the Chargers, 30, defeating the Chicago Bears, uh, 13. Uh, the Warriors in the NBA had an 11-point win over the Rockets, uh, a big win for the defending champs. The Nuggets, they beat Josh Giddy's Thunder by 33 points. And the Hawks uh, gave the Bucks a bit of a, a belting, uh, 127 to 110. Uh, uh, English Premier League uh, overnight, if you missed on the scores, uh, I don't think the golf has ever been bigger between the two teams in Manchester. City 3, Manchester United nil at Old Trafford. A couple of goals uh, to Erling Haaland uh, in that one. Aston Villa... Had a big win over Luton at home. Uh, in the other results, there's a one-all draw between Fulham and Brighton and uh, Everton on the road. Uh, beat West Ham 1-0. So a big win there uh, for Everton, who haven't made a great start to the season. So it's uh, just checking the top of the table. Oh, Spurs are still top. Uh, Tottenham still top by two points. It's shaping as a great English Premier League season. So you've got Tottenham on top at the moment, uh, just couple of points ahead of Arsenal, Manchester City, and um, you've got Liverpool there, a point further back. Aston Villa made an amazing start to the season, 12 games in a row. They've won consecutively at home, uh, and then Chelsea, not going well. Beaten at home by Brentford on the weekend, played Tottenham next up uh, next Tuesday morning, uh, Australian time. So that's the results in the English Premier League. Let's get another breakaway. That was lost in the wash. For rjsanderson.com.au, RJ Sanderson and Associates are accountants and taxation specialists. Take the stress out of tax. Welcome back to the show. Brett Phillips, not too far away to talk the world of tennis. Uh, before that, let's get to Yusuf in Broadman. I'm pretty sure Yusuf's a big Lions man. G'day, Yusuf. G'day, matey. How's things? I'm good, mate. How are you? Yeah, not bad. It was awesome chatting to you last time. Yes, I remember that chat last um, week. Yeah, just in relation to the lines, big body mids, uh, Lockie Hill and Eric Hipwood and stuff like that. That's right. You, I reckon you're a bit harsh on, uh, bit harsh on Josh Dunkley from memory. Yeah, look, a uh, bit harsh on Dunkley. You were telling me, you know, he he's not a goal kicker, never has, and probably never will be. But you know, surely we need a midfielder to go on and kick goals because Lockie Neal, Lockie Neal needs more help around the ball. Um, the grand final. Obviously, yeah, we're over it now. But just moving forward, like we've got the list. Do you don't think we can go on and win another three in a row? Or <laughs> three in a row? Let's just start at one, I reckon. Uh, Yusuf, no reason you can't be right up there again uh, next year. Look, every club's desperate for goal kicking mids, and probably you make a point. Like maybe in the grand final, that was the difference, wasn't it? If you look at the goals Collingwood got from their mids, Nick Dacos, Penderbury, side bottom, uh, Crisp. Uh, they got plenty of goals uh, from their midfield where you got a few. And McCluggage's not a bad goal kicker, but no reason at all the Lions can't be up there. The list is in a sweet spot. They've lost, they haven't lost anyone uh, significant. Uh, so there's no reason they can't be right up there again. Thanks for your call, Yusuf. We'll talk again soon. BP joins us, host of the first serve. You can tune in tonight at 8 p.m. Uh, on SEN. Hello, BP. Hello, Jules. Gee, not many hotter players in the world at the moment than uh, Yannick Sinner, and uh, he's got a very good man guiding him at the moment. He's going beautiful, uh, beautifully, Jules. I'll tell you what, Darren Cale can take a fourth athlete to world number one. I'm not sure where that puts him in the you know, realms of coaching greats, uh, but he's doing a, a beautiful job. In fact, uh, Yannick at the presentation 
overnight. It was in Vienna. He spoke Italian. He spoke English for Darren so he could understand, and he whipped into a bit of German. Show off. Reminds me of Roger Federer speaking the five languages, Jules. So if he's anything like Federer, um, he's going to have a very good career. Look, he's going beautifully. He's grown into his body. He's confident. Uh, You know, Darren just adds that confidence. You having worked with some of the best players, you know, great strategy. He just knows what it takes to be at the top of the men's game. He's four in the world. And, you know, he's, he's staying to win titles. And the next step is to win a major. And he's been to the quarterfinals of all four Grand Slams. So, yeah, 56 and 15 this year, the Italian. He's right up there in the top echelon. So defeated Daniel Medvedev 7-6-4-6-6-3 uh, to win in Vienna. And that's, I think I was running 40 hard-court wins for the year. Yeah. Yeah, no, he's going, he's going beautifully. Uh, yeah, they've had some good battles this year, four finals. So they've split it at two apiece, Medvedev and, and Sinner. And, yeah, it was, it was sort of lung-busting stuff. We went, you know, just over three hours. Uh, I love those indoor tournaments over in Europe. I mean, we have some great matches. The, the crowd's right on top. They love their tennis in all the cities across uh, Europe. And, you know, they get a, a big 500 event. Of course, leading into Paris, uh, this week, which was, is, is the final uh, Masters 1000, where yeah, Novak is back. I mean, obviously, he's playing a much reduced schedule now. First, you know, hit out since the US Open. No sign of him um, quitting the game at all. He's got uh, yeah, plenty of years left in uh, that body. And obviously, we've got a few Aussies in the draw, which we hope Alex Simonor and Max Purcell, Jordan Thompson and co. Alexi Popper and and uh, finish off the season in fine style. And WTA finals are the best eight players in Cancun mm. this week. Uh, the battle for the world number one position go on the line here. Yeah, well, look, absolutely. And Arena Sabalenka, I mean, today, uh, six love, six one against Maria Sakari. So it might be the best eight, but uh, Sabalenka, uh, she went to work uh, today. She's very keen to you know, finish the year as world number one. She's obviously had, you know, not the year in the Grand Slams, apart from winning the Australian Open that she would have liked, but yeah, Sviantec is going to be right there, nipping at her heels. Jess Bagula had a good win today. Interesting spot, Cancun, to have. Uh, I was going to ask, yeah, that's, that's not what I associate with world-leading tennis. Well, they do love their tennis, I've got to say, the Mexicans, but the one thing, Jules, that this event uh, hasn't been able to produce is uh, record crowds. I mean, for the best eight, it should be no empty seats. So yeah. The ATP finals, in Turin, previously at the O2 in London, absolutely packed to the rafters. So that's the only thing I'd say is the blight taking it to a place like Cancun where you're not getting uh, the absolute masses, but you're getting some passionate tennis fans. Hey, we're asking at the top of the show off the back of Eddie Jones some of the worst coaching appointments where not only has the win-loss been poor, but the whole thing's blown up. Uh, what, what would be one of the more famous ones in tennis, do you think? It's always an interesting relationship between coach and player. Well, Jimmy Connors only lasted one match with Maria Sharapova and she gave him the heave hard. The great, the great fiery Jimmy Connors, Jules. It one just, match? For whatever reason, they just didn't quite gel together and she gave, uh, as you can do as a tennis player, you're the CEO of the business. You yes. can hire and fire as much as you like. And said, Jimmy, you might have been a great player, but I don't think this is quite going to work out as a coach. It's like you on the first serve. The guests are not good enough. You sack them. What's on tonight? <laughs> Yeah, we're going to discuss a few bit locally uh, tonight. Uh, Lawrence Robinson's uh, got a big role at Tennis Australia, Director of Tennis Services and Pathways. So we're really going to pull apart the uh, the game domestically and what is happening on our shores here. We love Max Purcell. He's just that typical Australian, you know, the Bruce Reed sort of moustache, a bit of old school uh, jewels. He's gone from 220 to 43 this year. 
His coach, uh, Cole Smith, is going to join us. He's a great story as well uh, now with one of the uh, leading tour players from Australia. So he'll uh, he'll be a special guest with us after uh, 9 o'clock tonight. BP, uh, thanks for your time. Uh, looking forward to the show tonight, the first serve, 8pm tonight on SEN. Thank you very much. And time to celebrate some lives thanks to Tobin Brothers Funerals, a family-owned business since 1934. Tobin Brothers Funerals celebrating lives. Now, we must take a moment to remember and mourn the loss of friend star Matthew Perry, who sadly passed away over the weekend, age 54. What a massive show that was in the 90s. Friends, uh, of course, he played Chandler Bing. Uh, he was one of the biggest stars in the world in the 90s, and that show has uh, certainly cemented itself. It was one of the... More famous uh, and popular uh, comedies we've seen. So uh, very sad news to hear that out of the States on the weekend. Uh, Tobin Brothers Funerals, of course, celebrating lives.